The Athletic. And this is where the magic happens, Sasha Gurinov. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show. For the last month, we've been here at the Athletics headquarters in our super plush Totally studio. Perhaps you've seen it. But all the while, we keep bumping up against our neighbors from TIFO. TIFO. Neighbors like John here and JJ Bull, you probably know them all too well. All the things that you guys have done and we've done and then a little bit of friction, your tactical views, your hanging <laughs> bed sheets around to watch your TV on. The fact that your TV is usually about 40 seconds in front of ours. Yeah, and we make a lot of noise. You make a lot of noise, yeah. Anyway, so we decided after this month to kind of break down the wall between these two productions. A little bit like Run DMC and Aerosmith in that video. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, share a bit of the magic together. And who knows if we might make a uh, chart-sopping smash ourselves out of the uh, the fusion anyway now uh the oh hello sash i actually feel the walls were smashed uh, by uh Weghorst. when that goal was scored <laughs> there was a lot of screaming and running oh, yeah, around by true. everybody so i felt at that that's moment true. that's true that was a good bit yeah i enjoyed that yeah yeah, yeah. All right. shared we, moment we all came out of the trenches yes so yeah. when the two became one that day i think <laughs> nice nice uh boldly we put the headline who's going to win the world cup on this production so looking forward to the answer to that uh, soon. So I mentioned JJ Bull, John McKenzie of TIFO, Sasha Gurionov. Uh, this is quite exciting because it's the first time we've done video. So Sasha, would you, we've made reference to your notepad on many occasions. You brought a couple in. It's notepads. It's, okay. It's a, How many pages typically would you make for? For a game, well, a big game like this, probably two. No, but when we do a podcast, you come in with. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably, well, it's a couple of games. Four, four, four five, six pages. Right. This, this was the prep. This has got like a water. Uh, this has got water. It. This is producer Ben <laughs> decided to basically drown right. my notes. Please um, hold it. If you hold up the camera, that'd be great. It's so good. Oh, it? yeah, that's it's, true. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's that. There is no more notes there anymore. Um, okay. It's a shame. <laughs> But, I mean, sometimes I look at this and I think this is what, uh, you know, Goya must have felt like when he went to that crazy <laughs> period when he started drawing on walls. Because I'm pretty sure it was like content was a bit like this. Only he understood it. I believe only I understand my notes. Okay. So you've compared your notes to the output of Goya. I'm looking forward to hearing some of the revelatory uh, information in there, and especially from John and JJ as well. Uh, if you're experiencing this as a live stream on YouTube as opposed to say a podcast later on. Hello, podcast listener. But if you are live with us on YouTube, we appreciate your comments. Content notwithstanding, we'll try and get onto those uh, later on. If uh, you're intrigued as well by the views of JJ and John and you're new to TIFO, what can people look forward to on the TIFO IRL YouTube channel, JJ? Lots of videos. So, for instance, on what day is today? Thursday, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Friday, we've got a preview of who's going to win the World Cup tactically, mm -hmm. like how that's going to play out. And then on Saturday, uh, John and I have done our team of the tournament. So you can find out who the best players in the tournament are. Yes, Amrabat's in there for both of us. Uh, and there's a, a little twist at the end Ooh. where we do not just a team of the tournament, but a player from each country. Oh. Not every country, but you know, like... Um, well, yeah, 11 one, countries. Exactly, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, that sounds exciting. Can we do a bit of that later on? Can we touch on some of the themes of the tournament? Well, I think we should, yeah. All right. The big question, though... The one I've certainly tuned in for is who's going to win on Sunday, France against Argentina. Shall we begin with that? This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 
So it's at the, John, correct me if I'm wrong, the Lusail Stadium. <laughs> We had a long right? conversation about this. We did, didn't I think we? It's, it's probably not quite so hammed up as we did it. That Do you time. think? I think it's more like Lusail, Yeah, I'm afraid. No, no. You like the you like the. I, one? I feel like if I'm in, out there, you know, the desert Lusail. wind blowing in my hair, I'm calling it Lusail. Uh, France against Argentina, of course, is the is the clash. We were all very much enamoured of the various rebel narratives of your Croatias and Moroccos, etc. But this is a proper blue-blooded final, would you say, John? I think so, yeah. It's a really tough one to call, I think, ta from a tactical point of view as well, because both of these teams, I think, have been quite passive in the way that they've approached games uh, until maybe Argentina in the last game thought they were quite um, aggressive against um, against Croatia. Uh, but the big question is going to be how do you, how how does does each of those teams respond to the other team? Uh, I think both of the teams were lower on possession than their opponents in the semi-finals. Mm. So this is going to be a situation where that can't happen. They can't both have less possession than their opponents. So. Right. Although with FIFA's new possession stats, they mm. could both... That is have... true. They could have contested possession. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> the real winner. Yeah. It is, I'm, I was a bit surprised when I read that stat because both semi-finals supposedly featured a, a dominant favourite against the defensive team and I expected the dominant side to be the one with all the possession, but neither France nor Argentina broke the 40% mark. Why, why, why is that, JJ? Uh, in the last games, do you mean? Yeah, uh, in the last in the semi-finals. Uh, well, I think the, the approach both of these managers have, or the teams have, I think, is that they wait for the opposition to make the mistake that they can then exploit, as opposed to trying to take the game to them and be at risk of making the mistake that you lose from. So they're quite cautious. Like France have amazing players, but amazing players can often be caught on the counter-attack because they try things that unlock a team to... Uh, to try and score so often they don't need to have all the possession because they can be patient they can wait for their team to go back a bit like you see with France they don't really press very high they're quite passive in the first line they let uh, the other team come into their half a little bit because then it opens up more space and then suddenly you've got Mbappe can get in behind or Griezmann can get in behind um, and that's what they kind of do like Morocco for example I mean they've had 31.6% possession I think it was at some point I'm almost exactly right I think and uh that you know exactly how they're going to play. And so they changed their system a little bit, sure enough. They went to a back five and it had a repercussions. But the goal that France scored was them not trying to press them high up. They're trying to let them play a, a little bit. And, and Morocco are trying to have a deep line. But Griezmann makes a, a darting run backwards to pull someone out of position. That's how they get in behind with a little tiny bit of space in behind that line. And that's the kind of thing they want to try and do. So it's, I think it's on purpose they're doing it. Mm. Do, who do you have as favourites here, Sash? I, th I think this one is difficult because I mean I get, I get the point about maybe both teams not necessarily wanting the ball that much, but I think what we could what we saw against um, I mean throughout, actually throughout the tournament is uh, in the previous World Cup uh, France had the midfielder who was doing the job of two midfielders Kante. Yeah. This World Cup uh, arguably an even greater performance from Griezmann because you could see second half against Morocco he was effectively trying to screen his his back line. First half, obviously, he creates the goal. And I think the goal isn't just the darting run. He's ghosting. He's like loitering around that defender for, 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 for a good few seconds going back and forth until he, he loses him. And that's, that's why he loses balance. I think this is one of the reasons, say, why those Croatian defenders are falling over when Alvarez is running at them because they're disorientated. And I think, you know, this happens to the best of them. So I think it's interesting. I think Griezmann could be, could be again, the key here. But, of course, both teams have a player who doesn't really defend, Mbappe and Messi. So is it going to be 10 v 10? Which one of them would leave the bigger hole, I think, is the question for me. Mm. Yeah, there's, like even Griezmann, before he gets that little drop, he tries to make a dart and run in behind. That's one of the things he does before that. And I'm thinking, I've done a, a preview of this tactically on Tifo IRL, which you can watch on YouTube if you wanted to. And uh, 
I think the game will be very cagey because both teams, don't, it's not that they don't want the ball, but that they just don't want to go forward too much with it and leave too many players forward. They won't attack with everyone and have a big amount of space. And you will get, the game will be decided probably by the likes of Messi and Mbappe. It's a very obvious thing to say. But Argentina have, for example, uh, Rodrigo de Paul, who is like a, not a bodyguard for Messi, but he helps him out a lot by doing a lot of the defensive work that Messi doesn't. So although he's not fantastic on the ball, I'd say, there's an awful lot of stuff off the ball that you definitely notice him do that helps back up the things that Messi's doing because then you can let Messi keep his energy to make those explosive runs like when he turned Guardiola inside out against Croatia. That's what you want. And whereas Mbappe has um, Hernandez overlapping him and then there's a bit of solidity behind him, really. And also Kunde, although he's a right-back technically, kind of tucks in a little bit more. So you have a lot of defensive solidity from the a bit of a back three with Hernandez not too far away from Mbappe when he does do his... Is magic, but Mbappe tends to do all the things that are uh, risky at losing the ball when there's space in behind for him to get into, or he creates space by just running through people. Uh, wow! Yeah, you were mentioning sorry the 2018 clash, and I think we've all been kind of looking back on that and salivating a bit over the quality of the of, of the goals in there. Do you anticipate it being a similarly goal-tastic affair, John? No, I don't think so, because as Sash was saying. The big question that both of these teams are, are sort of trying to answer is how do you play with effectively a player down out of possession? Um, which is, I think, why both teams have been fairly passive in, in the game so far. I think Griezmann is a really important player for France because he allows France to be able to make up, mitigate the problems that, that Mbappe offers. And I think previously what has happened is Mbappe just doesn't drop back in, in the wide areas. He plays on the left-hand side, so usually you have a space to exploit on the left. Well, what they've been doing this tournament is they've been pushing Mbappe just across alongside Giroud and saying, OK, you go in the front line of the press and Griezmann will drop deep and, and will give just an extra body in the midfield so that Rabiot and Chouameni can move across towards the left. And so they're, they're forming a 4-4-2 mid-block, which a lot of teams will do, but they're doing it in quite a different way just to mitigate mitigate the problems. And yeah, as JJ says, Argentina are doing a, a similar thing there. Now, I think with with, with Messi, what, they're, what they've been doing more is just sort of allowing him to do what he does. Uh, but having... Julian Alvarez as the attacking player alongside him he's been doing a huge amount of defensive work as well um, and I think that makes a, a big difference for, for them too so both of these teams as, as Sasha is saying they're playing like 10 v 10 almost so I think the the natural inclination of those teams then is to be a little bit more conservative about about going forward so yeah it's going to be it's going to be the the out of possession stuff that is going to make the differences but as JJ says when the both of these teams have the ball. They'll be trying to get the ball to their key players in both both instances. And I could add as well, you mentioned Julian Alvarez there. Um, obviously, um, Argentina started the tournament with Lautaro Martinez. And if we flip it and talk offensively now, mm. it, they were clearly Messi and Martinez could not play together. Whereas with someone like Alvarez, they know where the other person is going to be. And we saw this. I mean, this all came came together against Croatia so brilliantly because there was telepathic understanding between the two of them. Alvarez, obviously 22 years old, just arrived at Man City from a River Plate. We, we knew that he's a brilliant player and obviously it's Man City reserve now who's going to be starting in the World Cup final. But so those two are very good together. I think McAllister, in addition to Paul, is also very good at kind of backing up Messi. If Messi wanders off somewhere, McAllister will also be hovering around there. So I think for me, it's almost it's a tournament of revelations when it comes to Argentina because you have uh, McAllister, you have Alvarez, you have Enzo, who has 
again, talking of a midfielder doing multiple jobs, I think Enzo is, is, the, is, is the guy. Uh, whereas on the other hand, you have the France team. Okay, they had a, a bit of um, bit of change. Of course, the base of midfield has changed, but it's essentially a very similar team to what was there four years ago. Whereas Argentina have had to reinvent themselves. All right, you've got the team sheets right there, haven't you? From, from 2018, yeah. From 2018, what a what a match that was. Oof. Was that? Did it feature one of the greatest World Cup goals ever? I think it features, or maybe two, two, of, maybe two even of them. three. I mean, I think <laughs> really? I think the Mercado's little flick is hugely underrated. Is that on the Messi shot? Was it? Uh, it was. A, it was a ball came across. Uh, for this is for two one. Was it Messi or was it someone else? Oh, this is before my time. This two thousand eighteen. I can't remember. <laughs> so right. kind of hit, <laughs> without, <laughs> Look it up. Not as old as you, James. Run right, right after you've watched um, uh, a Messi, a yeah. brilliant Messi cross for the late Aguero header as well. I mean, right. a lot of great goals. And of course, we kind of look back on it, Argentina. But the Pavard, did we say Pavard? Yeah, Pavard. I mean, we have forgot the Pavard. Yeah, <laughs> and and then Mbappe showed the two goals in five minutes. But they will look back on that team, some Paulo Argentina, thinking, oh, they were a bit of a disaster. You full of these old people and da, 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 da. but that game you know mm. they went toe to toe with France um, and so perhaps maybe history is a bit harsh perhaps so oh look we've got some comments hello people uh, hello if you are Chief Watt who says the last great final match was 1986 when Argentina took on West Germany in Mexico City winning 3-2 uh, well I guess that's a that's a uh, that's a line of argument, isn't it? it? Has there been a great final since '86? So what what do we had? Okay, 1990, absolutely not. '94 was a bit of a stinker as well. '98, France good. against Brazil was a '98. Yeah, really. Well, there's Nin all the sort of drama around it before, I suppose. Yeah, with but the Ronaldo stuff. That's the thing. You had a massive star who essentially didn't turn up, and it was a bit of a one-sided affair, wasn't it? As a result. But still, I mean, those Zidane headers were. I think a bit unexpected for everybody that yeah. Zinedine Zidane turns up with two headers in the World Cup final. I thought 2014 Germany-Argentina was, was supposed to... I mean, it wasn't right. a great final, but it was quite an even game. And it was, it okay. was anticipated it would be quite an even game. All right, but I, I think I'm coming around to Chief Watt's point of view here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I guess it depends what you want from your football. John, for example, you enjoy seeing teams play out of possession. <laughs> yeah, this so, is something that yeah, I get tarred and feathered with regularly. Right. But, um, I, I do enjoy it, but I, I do think that the out of possession side of the game is really, really important. And um, when you're watching World Cup football, and I, I'm like this as much as anyone, you don't want to be looking at the structure that the opposition are playing and thinking, right, what are they trying to do to stop you know, the, mm. the big players that we want to see scoring from scoring. Um, so I, I do understand that when it comes to the, the World Cup, people will, will sort of not focus on that. But this which sort of, of these two teams do you think is better out of possession? I think that this is maybe the best France team that I've ever seen in my lifetime in terms of what they've done out of possession. And this is a really interesting conversation because I think the reason why that's the case is because there's been key injuries to certain players who've have therefore forced Deschamps to play um, players who he might not normally have played. And Specifically? Well, so the, the team that, that played last time around had Pogba and Kante. Right. Um, and obviously... Uh, Angola Kante at that time was just one of the best midfielders in the world. That's not true anymore. Uh, and Pogba is one of the best footballers in the world. And that's probably still true. I mean, he's obviously injured, but he also sort of poses problems for what you're going to do in terms of your out of possession stuff. But also 
Are you simply including him in the team because he's one of the best ballers in the world rather than what he actually adds to your team? Like no one, I don't think anyone faced with a selection problem of, you know, Rabiot versus Pogba and Kante is going to think, oh, you know, Rabiot is the, the player we should be getting in there. Um, Chouameni is a great player, but again, quite young. Would he have been starting if, if those other two players were available? But I think what we've already talked about in terms of how does France mitigate the problems that Mbappe offers you out of possession mm. um, they, those are solved by playing the way that they are. And then you've got other players. So Luca Hernandez gets injured in the first game and Teo comes on. And I think he uh, maybe a little bit more from the attacking point of view, right. he's and important. And a great call. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, uh, right. Benzema as well. Benzema versus Giroud is, is a problem that, regardless of how you think it should go either way, it wasn't one that had to be solved by Deschamps because it was solved for him almost. So Very true. And yet there is talk on this Thursday that Benzema could yet be... Quite literally parachuted into France's World Cup campaign. He's still part officially of part of the yeah, squad. Yeah. No, that's Is it just, just before the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, here's some more comments. Well, one from Phil Rivet, who asks, "Does Messi have to win the World Cup to be considered the best ever?" I don't know, Phil. I mean, it's kind of, a, isn't it? Kind of up to you at this point. <laughs> I mean, we could make a case. You could make a case, but everyone's got their own. Am I shutting this one down? Oh, there's a man in a messy shirt over there. Oh, so yeah. What, what do you think? Maybe you should say something. Well I, well, I agree. It's up to everyone what they think. And it's also, you're not going to decide it by having four people who aren't messy deciding that on around the table. Uh, yeah. But So then I will say yes. <laughs> <laughs> For you, Sasha, is he the best of all He's time? He's the best I've seen. I mean, it, okay. it, it, it's very hard because obviously I'm, like, I'm too young to catch the, uh, the best of Maradona. Right. I mean, I remember Maradona going to Moscow and losing to Spartak, for example, and that was past it, Maradona. But of course, we've seen the footage and we have never seen, really seen Pele, have we? So it's, it's, very, it's very hard to say. I think in my lifetime, Messi, definitely. Mm. Uh, and this, this is perhaps the thing I can comment on. Well, perhaps aside from three years of Robbie Fowler, but that's, that's a different conversation. It certainly is. Uh, John, would you like to pronounce on this? Yeah, I'm a messy kind of guy as well. Does he need a World Cup? No, not at all. Because okay. like, surely a World Cup is just about nationality rather than like footballing ability, right? If he'd been born in Liechtenstein, like exactly. Yeah. But there is Although, something to it, isn't there? Like, if you do win it, you can just be like, well, that's it, gold stamped. You know, that's yeah. It, yeah. It's a nice bookend, I think, to a career, isn't it? Sort of. No, that is so true. I was just thinking that whether he wins this World Cup or not, he's reached out and he's resonated with every Argentine citizen. Every boy, man, woman, child is wearing his shirt. And that's something that whether he wins the World Cup or not, he will always have. And that's greater than a World Cup for me. I think so, yeah. I think I was kind of kidding. No, I, I, but I do agree. I think like when it comes to, when it comes to what Messi has achieved... Right. It's, it's the things that we've seen where we've been like, wow, right? It's him going round no, Guardiola. Right. God and bless you, John, because you, you, no, you're a better man than I am. That <laughs> you needed fired saying, him up now, James. No, you, that needed saying. I was a little taken aback when we had that kind of performative piece on, on Argentine TV the other day post, post-match. But, but Sasha... But it wasn't always thus. Remember, Messi no, was always so seen as this, this aloof guy who's over there, you know, Diego is, is the heart of, uh, of Argentina. And I think possibly in the last maybe four or five years, maybe... After maybe Messi started waning a little bit and people realized, oh my God, like what a player we have here. So now you have this mass hysteria um, at these Argentina games. Do you think there's a bit of guilt behind it, Sasha? Uh, I think what what is behind it is Argentina as a nation. They're a nation on the verge of a nervous breakdown constantly. 
And they latch onto a messianic figure like that. I mean, it's not probably not the first thing for football fans, but this is why I think we can see the outpouring of emotion in Argentina after every game, including the dressing room, the stadium, the country. And they're building themselves up so high. They better win this thing because I think the fall is going to be very, very hard. But I think Messi very much kind of feeds into that. And then we have also fans from around the world because YouTube agent, da, 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 and all they see is Messi skills. Okay. So I think this whole thing is coming together in a way that will never happen with Maradona. But I think with Maradona, again, we have more footage of him than of the other greats. And the thing that struck me was that that stat early in the tournament about how much he used to get kicked mm. in the World Cup. You know, Neymar gets kicked nine times. They put him up, almost put him out of the tournament. Maradona was kicked that much on every single game. He played pretty much everywhere, uh, including Spain, including Italy, including every. And he managed to produce the skill that he had. So maybe in a way, maybe there are some grumpy old men out there who said Messi would be, never be like Maradona because he never played under those conditions. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Is your shirt from Deportivo Huanca from Peru? Uh, they are. They are. They used to hail from the town of Huancayo. Uh, this was a thing approximately 18 years ago, I think. They've gone bust since then. And Have uh, they? Yeah, yeah, they, they went bust immediately. They were a lower division side. They used to play in Copa Peru from time to time. Right. I think the team in Huancayo, the team to watch now is Sport Huancayo. Okay. That's just my tip. All right. They blew their wad on... Etc. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Matt Fox, who's well-informed about Peruvian football all of a sudden, says they are the Peruvian team with the biggest UK supporter base for a foreign team. I have no idea why that would be. All right. Uh, we're talking about which team is going to win the World <laughs> Cup final. It is France against Argentina. Which one looked better in the semis, JJ, would you say? Well, they're obviously different opponents, so yeah. uh, hard to tell. I mean... Would you say, though, that uh, both teams are building towards this final? Have they both looked better as they went along? I mean, Argentina certainly with the Argentina, worst definitely. of starts. I think Argentina have... Uh, so uh, the defeat to Saudi Arabia was very unexpected. And it wasn't that they were outplayed or anything. It was two goals that they shouldn't really conceded, but they did. Um, but what you've seen is the, the, the starting lineup and the system that the manager has used has changed as the, the tournament's gone on. And everything he does makes absolute logical sense tactically when he's taking on different teams. And now I think what he's found is a starting eleven that works best together. You're getting the strengths of all the best players. And it might be different to what they were doing in Copa America or even in World Cup qualifying. It's slightly different. And the players like Lotaro just doesn't seem to work in that team at the moment. So out he goes and comes uh, Alvarez and it functions a lot better. And then Enzo Fernandez wasn't really meant to be there, but he now is and is entirely important how they play. 
Whereas France have mostly played the same team from the start and just worked their way through. I think they changed some players when they were already through, didn't they? Or yeah, they changed they the team. Yeah. yeah, they rotated the team, so that's good. And then they look comfortable all the way through. I don't think France have ever really looked challenged. Sure enough, England were all right with them, but I always felt there was a gear they could go up even against England in that game with France. They're just not quite humming along. And it's um, we talked about this in the recent TIFO podcast about how France have almost become this kind of Real Madrid, uh, Man United in the 90s type team with all the best players. And so it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't necessarily matter how they line up tactically. I mean, clearly it does. It is important, but not as much as maybe some other teams are. Like Morocco did really well because they had team spirit, some individual great players, and uh, tactically they were excellent. Whereas France can just do a very simple thing where they don't concede too much space, attack when they want to, and then they've got amazing players who can take advantage. And you can always do that if you have the best players. Like, the best players tend to win football games when they have that. So I think they've got a better squad, France, than Argentina. But there's something about making the most of Messi's individual talents as the best player I've ever seen uh, that makes them really, really good there's something special like they have with Messi getting the best out of him you have something that no one's ever really had before ever and so that maybe gives you some sort of an edge in these games okay that one player as opposed to the collective worth of it's a bit of both but yeah I think Mm. you you don't get the most of that one player unless you have the collective supporting him in that way and he's so good that you can afford to, to base your team on that in terms of how you uh from Argentina's point of view you try and counter the many strengths some of which we've mentioned of, of, of France uh, it was interesting while uh, Red Raggy afterwards saying that they they went with the back three for various reasons to deny space to uh, force the uh, wingers back France's wingers back but also I think the unspoken bit was to give a bit of protection to Saiz who was you know, laboring a bit with his hamstring but they, he regretted that he said that was a mistake that he would learn from and the, everyone said they looked better once they went to a back four so what should Argentina do then? This is a good question because I think the big thing with France is that everyone goes in against France and they're like, how do we deal with Mbappe? Mm. Uh, because how, how do we deal with Mbappe? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's an important question. But, you, you know, England went in thinking about that and they, they sort of overloaded that side and they, they tried to exploit the weaknesses that they saw emerging from, from Messi not tracking back as much. But actually what, what I was really impressed with about Morocco is that actually in terms of the game plan, once they switched back to that back four and played the way that they'd been playing... They were able to actually progress the ball through the middle of the field a lot more than they had been when they when they were playing as a as a back five. I think there's a number of reasons for that, but I do wonder whether or not the question is whether or not teams are too worried about Mbappe. Now it's easy to say that, right? Because there's a lot to worry about. But I think I felt the same with England. England England were were saying, well, you know, if, if where's the weakness going to be? It's going to be behind Mbappe. They shifted Henderson out there. They allowed themselves to be a little bit more overloaded. Uh, again, well, France overload them in the midfield areas and they weren't able to, I didn't think, to progress the ball in the, the dangerous way that, that maybe Morocco did in the, in the semi-final. And I wonder whether or not the same might be true for Argentina then. If they go to a back five, if they worry too much about Mbappe, whether or not you then are reducing your chances of actually being dangerous yourself now obviously that's it's the it's the um Rafa Benitez quote about the the blanket being too small right you have to cover your head or your feet and that's that's a tactical reality that faces all managers Um, but I do wonder whether or not in this tournament and maybe even for for the last World Cup as well the the big worry was was making sure that they'd covered their head rather than thinking about their feet which Um, end would that be sorry yeah I'm not sure the the analogy is sort of getting away from me (laughs) no no but thank you for saving me where would you where, where what would be job one then 
the, the the thinking is if you go to a back three, then yeah. you've got an outside centre back who can cover Mbappe, and then you've got a wing back who can also cover the wide player as well. So you're not going, you're not doing what you probably end up doing in a with a back four, which is maybe just having your your full back having Mbappe over on that side, and then Teo Hernandez, who as right. we know is a really uh, progressive full back as well, causing you problems. But I think you then you're obviously taking that extra defender from somewhere uh, and that is from the midfield and again I think this works in maybe France's favour in that actually they they have a really weak forward press so they've got Giroud and Mbappe together neither of those are particularly aggressive pressers that doesn't give you any protection to the midfield if you if you build up through the central spaces and you then have overloads in the midfield area then you can cause problems I think to France and that was I think exactly what Argentina did against Croatia because we spent the whole tournament being like Croatia's got the best midfield mm. um, everyone worries about uh, everyone says you know Croatia played badly and then get through anyway or and the same same as they do um, with 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 France but no one really seems to take into that into account and approach the game in that way um whereas i think maybe if argentina did similar to what they did against france they could be a little bit more aggressive in the central areas cause france problems force them back and then and then you yes okay you're always at risk from mbappe being found in the channel but if you're causing them more problems and you have the ability uh, of the players that, that argentina have which is i think the differential between morocco and and argentina then you'll have the same amount of possession as as Morocco did but you'll have much more dangerous players who are going to be the recipients of that extra possession and I think you've just got to go for it I think if you come out of the game feeling like England did which is we played quite well mm. but ended up losing anyway by being a, a little bit conservative about Mbappe who cares like go out and try and win and if you lose you lose right is, yeah is, is that is that an old-fashioned way of playing football, I don't know. No, I mean, I, I, I think that kind of uh, brazen approach would probably... Of course, not conceding early would, would be a big help yeah. in that approach. Sash. But I mean, on the one hand, I think it didn't really harm Morocco conceding early because they had to open up and actually see that this team could play. Mm. But also, I would say that I think against Croatia, Argentina were fairly conservative, I think, because they and they kind of waited for the moment to, uh, to pounce. And when they did... They played pretty vertically because, I mean, from the first goal, they kind of played down the middle. Modric miscontrols them, bang, they're, yeah, they're on yeah. top of them. And Lovren's out of, for the first time this tournament, I think Lovren really badly fails. And then after, they just went through straight through them again. So I think, in a way, they didn't really take on that, I think, um, Croatia midfield. They kind of eventually went through it and over it. And then, then they're 2-0 up and then it becomes a much easier game. But I think they definitely controlled that game because mm. they, yeah, had, yeah, they, they had the yeah. extra player in midfield mm. a lot of the time. They yes. were really aggressive yes. in the press. So they weren't letting the midfield Too set cool, yeah. on the mm -hmm. ball at all. And the idea was always going to be Croatia are a slow team. They're quite old. We have the better team uh, players to, to transition on them. So if we can do that, then we'll, we'll cause them problems. So I think it was very, it was a sort of, proactive way of being passive yeah. in that sense um, and I think obviously against France it's going to be a different tactical reality for them to face but I think that if they if they approach it in that way like how do we cause them problems rather than worrying about how they cause us problems then it will be the best way for them to actually win. From France's point of view there's the messy question I guess which they resolved in 2018 by virtue of uh, N'Golo Kante and how uh, do you propose them to cover his absence or, or, or shut Messi down as effectively as he as he kind of did that time? Well, it depends on where Messi plays in this game. So a lot of people seem to think Argentina will play in a 4-3-3, which would put Messi through the middle and Dumier would be at wide. So then you'd think it would be the central defender's job with uh, maybe two many to look after him in the middle. But uh, I think they'll probably play this 4-4-2 shape and flood the midfield uh, and play that vertical style that Sasha's talking about. Like they did that a lot in 
in qualifying as well, where they go, they take the lead and they, if they can do it, because they start quite quite hot and then they sit back a bit and hit them on the counter if they can, very vertical. So what France can do is like, assume he starts in central positions and drifts out to the right as he has done throughout his entire career. You can probably bet that's what he'll do, I guess. So then you've got Mbappe and Theo Hernandez are on the left as the two very attacking parts of that team. So versus where Messi would be. And you can say Messi doesn't do much defending, but he helps Argentina defend by being there in the first place. And so it sort of limits how far Theo Hernandez can push up during attacking phases because he might leave Messi in space on his own deeper. So then you could then pull someone like Rabiot over from the double midfield pivot, if it's a pivot, pull him over to look after him. But he'll I mean, he'll do Rabiot in, so you don't leave them just to that. And then you may, may, might pull like Upamecano or, or Canati out of position as well. I think mostly France will line up exactly the same as they always have done and just make sure that I'd imagine the manager will tell them to communicate to make sure that everyone knows where this guy is all the time. And when he gets the ball, then you surround him. That's the thing to do, is just stop him from being able to play. I don't think they'll take a player out just to specifically mark him. I can't see Deschamps doing that unless he makes a change in his team to put someone on that job. I don't think Rabiot would have the tactical... Not discipline, because he's, I mean, he's a good player, right? But there's there's something that you wouldn't have that. Maybe chew him in e, but then you lose a lot in the middle of the pitch, especially if Argentina are attacking through that as well. A lot of tactical questions to solve. I've solved none of them. Well, it is a real question. So how did Kante do it so well in 2018? Uh probably energy <laughs> right he reads the game so well so it's energy is like one thing right the physical characteristic is really important to how Kanti when he was at his best but it's his read of the game he knows roughly if the ball's over in the left back position he can work out in about three passes it's probably going to be near where i am okay so to be aware of when it goes then i jump and that's how right. i go and surround him and then that's the first press then everyone else gathers in so he gives you a couple of seconds of leeway for everyone else to join in and uh if you're determined enough to and quick enough to get close to messi and stop him and you you I don't know if it's better to try and tackle him from behind or in the front, whichever is the best one. That's what Kante did right. to make sure you stop him at source rather than get him going. But stop before he even gets the ball because once he's got yeah. it, as we saw with Guardiola the other night, there's, I mean, Guardiola didn't do anything wrong particularly. I think but he did everything a coach would ask him to do, yeah. Right, and yet still <laughs> Messi just wandered past him. Baleo, Baleo, que buena. Sigue Leo por el tercero atrás. I think someone like Thiago Silva or, oh, I don't know, someone like a, a great defender, of, you know, at the, the very peak of his career, Montero. would have just hugged him and, and taken him down. Right. They would have yeah. just taken him out of the game and that's what they've done. Okay. <laughs> but I think also the Guardiola situation shows that don't stay with him one for one because he'll do you. Yeah. So someone should have helped Guardiola in that situation because, as I said, he did everything right, but he was almost like, back when he said screaming, somebody help? Because like, <laughs> I'm, I'm stopping him here a little because he stopped him like two or three times mm -hmm. before Messi took it past him again. Mm -hmm. So I think the France, you say about communication, like it's, it's either you look at what's going on or someone just give a shout, you know, go over and help him out there against Messi. Yeah. With all of this talk, it does make Argentina sound like maybe the favourites. But then you think about Antoine Griezmann, a master of absolutely everything, as uh, a master of blooming everything, as Guardaviewer uh, writes in. Guardaviewer says, talk about Griezmann, exclamation mark. Who fancies a bit of Griezmann chat? Go on, Sash. I think we can all talk about him and say Have this. you got notes in different colours about him? Well, I think the notes here, do I have enough arrows around Griezmann from the previous game? No, I don't have an arrow. Oh, I do have some, so yeah. Okay, what does it say? Some it's definite arrows. arrows there. I can um, see yeah. arrows. Yeah, but, but basically, I, I think in, in the Morocco game, maybe it wasn't as apparent after 
he scored a first goal because then there was a lot of defending to do. Right. Um, but I think, again, he did it absolutely admirably. But I think, so in games against like England, you take the England game. So I was thinking before the game, yeah, Declan Rice, you know, take care of this man. And in the end, Declan Rice couldn't because this man was everywhere. I mean, you see, you see the two goals that he set up. There is like you couldn't really follow him man for man. I think Bellingham tried for a bit, and I think Bellingham actually did quite well. But then again, you know, he just drifts out of that position, and then he returns so quickly as well. So that in the end, they, nobody on the England side could actually read where this man's going to be. Right? Is his progression, is his development, given who he seemed to be and the kind of player he seemed to be, is it one of the most surprising twists footballers offered in recent years? Yeah. If you'd have said to me before the tournament that, that Griezmann was going to end up being like the, the fulcrum both in and out of possession for France, I'd have been like, well, I'm not sure if I agree with you, but this the way the game's going, right? If, if you can find creative players who are able to produce on the ball. So I think Griezmann has the, has the highest expected assists total for the tournament. Hmm. But Bellingham is the same, actually. But they both have the physicality to be able to do the off-ball stuff. So Bellingham, I think, has made the most successful tackles in this tournament. Um, two players there who are gonna, who are just worth their weight in gold because... Actually, it's probably not true, is it? Because they're worth quite probably a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure what the current, Diamonds, uh... the current weight of gold is, but, um, but they're worth a lot, more than their weight in gold. Um, we'll say that to be safe. But because they can do... You, you can fit them into systems and you know that out of possession, you're not going to have to be trying... Right. We spent the whole time talking about how do you deal with what what Mbappe causes by by not pressing so much? What do you deal with? How do you deal with Messi not being as aggressive as you want him to be? Mm. Bellingham and Griezmann, are both, these are players who do that. They do both sides of things and they do just give you upside in both phases of the game. It's quite romantic then. You've got, you've got these kind of modern polyvalent, if that's a word in English, you know, multi-purpose players playing that kind of total football and you've got Messi out there as the last of the mm. last of the independents pl playing that lone pharaoh and, and, and will it be enough but how do how do Argentina stop Griezmann and is that an important question to ask I mean yes if if he causes problems he causes problems and he, he did against England right he was the guy who set up Giroud for the for the header and um that's that's the 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 big question because I think when when it comes to players like Mbappe and and Messi you sort of know how they're going to cause you problems to a degree right you know that Mbappe is going to open out at speed in that in that left channel um, and people are going to try and stop him but he w is unstoppable and he'll either go direct to the goal or hit the byline and pull it back Messi is going to be able to just dribble the ball through central spaces and set up audacious passes whereas I think with Griezmann he's just a bit more flexible he can he can operate on both sides he can cross the ball in he can get in behind um, he can engage in sort of short one-two passing plays as well it's, it's really hard to cover players like that when you just sort of when they don't really have a thing um which the other two like obviously do so yeah it's it, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how that one plays out i'd imagine they'd stick him on um or france would put Griezmann on enzo fernandez to stop the way that argentina want to build uh but that's another reason why i think it'll be that four four two shape for argentina because then they'll have maybe probably paredes next to him so they've got that extra bit of well, an extra player there yeah. so they can move the ball a little bit. I think if they overload that midfield, it's their, their best chance. But I, I think that's the solution because I'm just looking at this now. So I think Enzo with, with Paredes in the middle could possibly stop Griezmann there. If he goes wide, I think both McAllister and Depaul can defend because yeah. McAllister can play 6, 8, 10. He can do everything. Then you have the fullbacks. I think Molina has quietly had a very good tournament. Of course, he had that goal, but I think defensively he's been very good. And of course, if Vieg is back at left back for Argentina, I think that is actually a good set of players to deal with the drifting player like Griezmann. There you go. Are France the favourite because they've got a proper centre forward? 
And this has been a World Cup that has reminded us the value, particularly in your more simplistic football that you get in a World Cup, of having a big guy up front to solve problems. We've just done our team of the tournament, as JJ was saying, but we talked a lot about how this has almost become like the tournament of like the, the, the classic traditional nine. And for me, like so much of that comes down to the fact that in tournament play, it's just great having a player who has box presence, who can who you know if things aren't going well and you have the chance to just get it in the box and they can score. It makes a huge difference. Um, obviously, there's there's all kinds of other things that, that a traditional nine does that helps you out, like generate space and is able to engage in, in hold-up play and, and, and bring players into the game. But I think that that's what we're seeing in this tournament, that, that if you have a player who can play like that and you can, you can, you can utilise them in the best way, then it makes a huge difference for your attacking prospects. But I think, if, you, if you're talking about Giroud like that, but I think if you look at Argentina, Alvarez, I think Alvarez can do everything. Because, yeah. I mean, you could see the goal he forced against, I think it was Australia, uh, basically press up high. He can drop into midfield. He can link and play. He understands Messi. So I think in a way, for me, he is a centre forward that's maybe a less obvious presence. Mm. But everything he does is, is utterly brilliant. I think it's quite great that we arrive at the World Cup final with four of the top scorers being evenly shared between the two sides. So because you've got Mbappé Giroud on one side and you've got Messi and Alvarez on the other. So I think it could be a final about centre forwards. Slightly different ones. But again, like I... I know we've talk, talked about this thing being off the ball. How do you stop these guys? I hope they don't because potentially it's a goal fest again. You think another 4-3, Sasha? Oh, I'm please. with you. <laughs> Absolutely could. Although uh, yesterday uh, on, on Totally, one of our finest tactical minds, Duncan Alexander, offered that for him, France are very much like Burnley, but in a nicer kit. Where, what do you feel about that, JJ? I can understand the comparison because right. the idea is imagine how well Burnley did over the years playing a fairly what's the word not robust I'll go for, I'll go for robust style Stodgy. of football Physical. it I mean, worked yeah. functional functional Pragmatic, football right yeah, it was, yeah I don't want to pay to watch them but it's there right and it works I kept them up for years and years now imagine doing that with really good players right. and suddenly it makes a lot of sense why doesn't everyone do that well like Holland Holland did that yeah mm. <laughs> well that's the thing it, it works if you do it to an extent and you can't just sit and defend the whole time but I think like the way Morocco played was brilliant and it was quite exciting because I think probably because we didn't expect it from them is one of the things, but also because it was executed perfectly. Like if you were trying to, they could do that as a seminar for coaches and how to teach that that four four two block and expand really quickly. Well, the four one four one really I should say not four four two and got that wrong, but that's the kind of thing you see with them. France, it's not far off it they don't really attack with too many players. It becomes a front five at times because you get uh, one of the fullbacks forward on the left side. But um, you don't think is if you have players like Mbappe and Dembélé, who's really they're both really quick. You don't really want to play in the final third with the opposition sat back deep against you. You want them to bring out. So strategically, it kind of makes sense to be a bit more dour and uh, not utilize all. It looks at the attacking creative outlets that you have because you actually get far more benefit from <laughs> being boring and then hitting teams when they're a bit sleepy. Like kind of it really kind of works. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Should we get your thoughts about who's going to win then? Sure. In a moment or two, just to kind of preserve the suspense. <laughs> but before that, I wonder if there's any other, you know, we talked about this being the tournament of the striker and that. Have there been any other great tactical themes of this tournament? Low blocks? Um... Well, I think low blocks have been like a thing for years because there's right. always going to be a massive talent I wasn't paying attention until yeah, really you, the last couple of months. You didn't, you didn't watch those here? games with me, did you, James? I would have <laughs> yeah. told you. Um, but... Low blocks are interesting, right? Because people talk about low, talk, people talk about good football and bad football, and then assume that low blocks are like bad football. Because right. usually, if you're playing a low block, you're you've got a massive ta- talent differential with a good team, and they'll probably beat you anyway in the end. And if you're lucky, you sort of scab a goal right at the end. Whereas what we've seen from Morocco is like really good low block football, right? They they have they have this perfect structure that allows them to cause teams problems when they're attacking and they're able to fall into that structure. They also have the really great players to be able to transition from that from that low block into a, into an attack. And then they also have the ability to then drop back into their, their defensive structure again. And it's, it was really entertaining to watch them play. Really, I thought against France, they were brilliant to, to watch. I, mean, I know they weren't really low blocking as much, but it, it, it's, it's good football. And, and I think what we have now is we have smaller teams who have the ability to have these sorts of approaches that actually are not just, oh, we're going to sit deep and, and hope for the best. They actually have a plan. They know what they're going to do in certain phases of the game. Right. And that's why Morocco were great because they, they weren't just good at defending. They were good at attacking as well. Some of the chances they were generating, they, you, you're not going to generate a lot of attacks when you're playing that kind of football. But when you do, you've got to make sure they're good. And they were, and it was really good to watch. But I thought what was remarkable about those slightly smaller, maybe more defensive teams is how then they got forward. Because Morocco get, getting forward, they'd get forward with six or seven, something yeah, like that. It's yeah, like, yeah. I think, the goal they scored against Portugal, they were just swarming that box. So no wonder the Portuguese... It was brilliant, like, and that was almost everyone touched it. If I counted it, it was only three players. The left side of centre-back, Hakimi, the right wing-back, and one of the midfielders, the only ones who didn't touch the ball in the build-up to that goal. It was so But they good. built up for it at speed as well. Yes. So it was like, it was like I was looking and going, wow. Also, you saw um, Japan hanging on for dear life and are suddenly bursting forward in a couple of couple of spells and they get the goals that they needed. I mean, maybe I'm slightly bit of a simpleton, but for me, that was visually the most impressive thing because this transition by the smaller sides, not for like the entire game, but when it was necessary. Yeah. Right. I, th- I would call it the second most Im- impressive thing of this World Cup. The most impressive thing is is perhaps going to be the real tactical legacy and that is the, the Vogel's free kick, which we're going to see everywhere. Can I'm we see sure. it now, please? Stop for 10 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, a, what a moment. I mean, you, you cited it before as one of the most em, kind of emotional fulcrums of this, of this tournament. One of those moments that makes you absolutely love football. And uh, if, I mean, for instance, people who um, can't see inside our office, we have, you know, there's a little studio where often the Totally Football show is recorded. And then there's a big office where uh, Tifo would do all our, our YouTube bits hard and work. pieces. All our hard work, yeah. yes. Right. And we've got a little small TV. Uh, and we were watching the game on that. 
And that goal went in and there was about 12 of us just dancing, like jumping about going, oh my God, like that's the kind of thing that can happen from those moments because it, because of the timing of when it was, that makes it huge. Yeah. The execution of it, the audacity to try it, you can't believe what you're seeing, but it's going to happen. And it's one of those things where you, as soon as they try it, you sort of, you're just into the ride. You don't know where you are. You're locked into that one moment. Um, it's not as good, I mean, it's not as good technically as things like David Louise's uh, knuckleball he hit from 400 miles <laughs> or uh, I'm trying to think of another one. Like, I remember Ronaldo's against Spain. I remember exactly where I was right. when that went in. But again, same thing, end of the game. It's really important. You, you can't do it, can you? Not now. Statistically, I think Vagos is likelier to score from a free kick than Ronaldo. But I think I, mean, I am. You <laughs> might be, yeah. You might be. Oh, Martin Fuchs uh, is writing in to let us know that Griezmann's weight in gold is actually only four million at yeah. current exchange rate. So there's a bargain to be had. Samrat Lekak uh, <laughs> points out that Argentina are going to be wearing their home strip on Sunday. Significant, perhaps. The last time they wore it, was in 86. Yeah, they wore the blue one in 1990. I mean, it's not the last time they ever wore it. Great final in 86, wasn't it? Yeah. And they wore the blue one in in 1990, in 2014. Mm. So, makes you think, right? (laughs) JJ, there's a a game on Saturday night. Morocco, who we've we talked a Aberdeen lot about. Aberdeen versus Celtic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that as well? No, it's in the morning, technically. No, the afternoon, 12.30, yeah. Okay. But believe? then Saturday evening, you got everyone's favourite Morocco against Croatia, who's certainly done their bit to light up this tournament. It is the third, fourth playoff. A lot of people will be thinking that Saturday night holds other options for them. Can we collectively make a case for this being a game to watch? Yes, let's try and do that. So uh, you'll get to see um, the really happy faces of players who didn't think they'd get a World Cup game, get a game. So that's nice. Okay. Heartwarming. Do you, do you anticipate both managers rotating heavily? I think they'll go with their strongest teams, but they'll make sure the people who haven't had a game will get one. Okay. That's surely what you do. You can't not. I mean, you'd be pretty right. mean if you... If you <laughs> like, it's a Christmas World Cup. No need to be a Scrooge. Yeah? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't work on that one before. It just oh, came to me. No, it just went with but, it. But run with it. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, but we'll see Modric, for example, for the last time, presumably on a World Cup stage. I would have thought so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he got substituted in the last game. And I, I wondered at the time whether that might have been a, that's, you know, take your exit. But I think it's because he was tired and he's was just run down a little bit. So they took mm. him off. I think you'll get to see the final bit. You'll see in the World Cup of Modric. Um, probably Lovren as well. It'll probably be him off. There's a couple others that are a bit older that you'll maybe not see from. I think Morocco will get there almost a hero's parade because no matter what happens to them they are the first African team to ever finish in the, the top four of the World Cup Yeah, and they did it like on merit they, they were more than good enough to get to the final they, I think honestly they, they could have ended up winning it if they weren't unlucky with a couple of things in that semi-final but it should be fun because I think Morocco will win <laughs> and uh, that'll be quite a nice way to round it all off it's interesting to see how Croatia play they'll have less to play for because they'll be they know it's the end of a cycle that's them. They've had a, a long time, well, but I guess it's what eight years now, technically four years maybe, where they've been really privileged to have these excellent players managed well and they've they've done okay with what they've got. Whereas Morocco, something really exciting is happening. Right. And that should be good. And also it's one of the last games of the World Cup. You only get one every four years, James. So oh, That's true. That is true. And, and they'll have all that incredible support behind them as well. Sash, will you be tuning in? Oh, definitely will be tuning in. I think this game matters more for these teams than it would if, say, France were playing for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we could, I mean, of course, for Morocco, it's the first time they've gone this far. Uh, for Croatia, it's not the first time they've gone this far. But in 98, I think that third 
uh, third place playoff was important for them. It was important for them to beat the Dutch. Maybe this is going to be the, the, the slight difference because Croatia have been there before. But for Morocco, they're still going. They're still going on that adrenaline. I mean, it's. I, I'd like to see which team they're going to field because I mean, Regragi was already saying, you know, one of the reasons we couldn't cause more problems for France was because we were at 60, 70 percent. Right. You know, how much more are they going to have left in there? We didn't see the same words from Dalic, and I mean, we'll, we'll see how Croatia approach this, but. I think, yeah, I do think Modric has to play. Now, Perisic has to play. Lovren has to play. It's going to be the, it's going to, it has to be the swan song. Uh, John, this game was nil-nil when they faced each other in the group stage. Do you anticipate it being different this time around? I don't know. If you were in the third-place playoff game, yeah. would you turn up to training in the week? Would you just chill out? <laughs> just wing it? Just come directly from yeah. the pub, probably. Yeah. I think that's what Bulgaria did in 94 and got pumped 4-0. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, maybe if both teams do it, then it's the, the spirit of the game, right? But uh, I have absolutely no idea. Um, to be honest, would James, you, would sure. you, if you were in, or when you become ch in charge of FIFA or whatever the relevant body will be by that time, would you keep the third, fourth playoff all in the game on YouTube asking, is it needed anywhere outside of Olympic football? I mean, on one hand, I kind of feel like no, but on the other hand, I feel as though that's a very efficient, hyper capitalist way of looking at things, isn't it? Maybe we should celebrate the things that are not necessary a little bit more. Maybe we should make the games that don't really matter that much. Uh, important, right? Right. Like Aberdeen Celtic at twelve thirty on. There you go. <laughs> Which there is go. why I'll be no, tuning no, into no, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, I, I I went off on on one when you talked about what was necessary and what what's not <laughs> because I mean so much of. Anyway, yeah, we'll park yeah. that thought for a second or so because should we not just celebrate these moments of of like? Well, yeah, I mean we can, but I think the issue. Uh, um, okay, I think the issue with the third fourth playoff for a lot of people. And you're absolutely right, World Cups don't come along very often. You've got the chance to enjoy collections of the best players in the world, uh, wonderful stadiums, etc. Slight asterisk, asterisk on that in, in the current tournament. Um, and Luka Modric's last game, etc. But it's the perception that the games are pretty much a contractual obligation for the players involved. I think that's what makes people have such a negative reaction to the third, fourth players. That the, the players generally don't want to be in them. They want to just go home to their families or, or, or whatever. Maybe in this case, though, as you say, because there's this feeling of something building with Morocco, a chance for them to celebrate, despite the disappointment of Wednesday night, a chance for them to celebrate everything they've, they've conquered. Spend so, more time together, I guess. Is, yeah. Is one of the sad things about tournament football is that you get I'm going to miss you guys. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We're never going to see each other again, James. And, <laughs> and that's until four years' time, and who knows what will be happening there. That's a hell of a way to tell yeah. me, John. <laughs> But in a public place, I get it. We'll always have that trip to Leon, won't we? We'll always have that trip to Leon. We certainly will. That's the, uh, uh, the quality fast you, food the outlet, you, not the it? French city, sadly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, that was... Uh, I was about to ask, when did you go? <laughs> 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 I didn't know you went Leon, Leon. shall we say. <laughs> right, good. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> we've done tournament reflections. We've talked about... Unless you've got... Sasha, have you got anything in your big book of tournament reflections? Uh, one, one tournament reflection mm -hmm. is... Um, uh, Azadin Unahi, uh, uh, the midfielder, the number eight, uh, which I think would see his name everywhere had um, Hamdala seen him when they broke away against France because he steamed right into the gap where Konate left and he was up the pitch. But, you know, the, the other guy had his head down. But I think, whereas, you know, Amrabat was all blood and thunder, up and down, did, 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 I think the future is on Unahi because I look at him, 22 at Tanger, he's a very very good-looking player and very intelligent player. Very, it, it's, he's more subtle than Amrabat. And I think age is on his side. So I think given where he's at, I think he is the one that probably should come out of this tournament. Someone 
pick him up and you know make a great player out of him. Thank you, Lucas. Because players bought off the back of good World Cup tournaments always work out re- really, really, really well. I think he's up. he's he's at age. Why is he I th- different, Sash? The he, age? I, th- I think he's young, uh-huh. and I think if you look at his progression, he hasn't jumped over. He said he he wasn't necessarily the big star that everyone's looking at, but people once they've seen Morocco a few times, got mates texting me. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. He's mm. definitely out of limelight, but on the pitch. You can see how important so it is. So if you were a DS of perhaps Deportivo Wanker... <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll get my big checkbook who out. Who would you be spunking your load? On the plane to Angers. I'll be on the plane to Angers. Okay. John? Yeah, Which uh, one player? Uh, one player. See, I do... You've, you've said Amrabat is, you know... I, I think, is Amrabat. But I think that he's a really, really rare commodity in that we've got, there's so many good sixes... I think, available in terms of if you're looking for a purely defensive player. Uh, but I think that Amrabat is different because he offers a few things that, that most defensive blood and thunder sixes don't offer, and that is tempo, the ability to uh, be press resistant, to move the ball down the field as well, um, and to, to, to be a really smart positional defender as well. So I think there'll be a lot of teams yeah. who think this guy is... is it, it's, it's not going for someone like you know a Calvin Phillips or a Tyler Adams who who they're going to do incredible defensive work win the ball back and recycle it but he can get that he can get the ball win it back and then start thinking about helping his team structure themselves to get down the field as well so I think there'll be teams who'll be looking at him and thinking I, I think yeah. there are yeah JJ it, kind of a boring one I think uh, Borna Sosa had a really good tournament left back at Croatia mm. Uh, that's kind of boring. The thing I noticed or took away from the tournament is that I'm just really happy that Messi did things that only he can do several times and just kind of cemented it on that massive world televised recorded forever stage. Uh, so it's not thinking that, oh, he used to be able to do these things. You know, you see him play for Barcelona when he did it. He did it on the absolute biggest stage uh, and was the best player in every single match he played. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, yeah no, you're absolutely right. I uh, totally agree with that. And not least because he went to PSG and stepped away from, for a lot of people, the football that mattered. Yeah. And the things that he did there or the things that he won there came, again, with a bit of an asterisk because it's PSG and what competition they have. And in the Champions League, could he get into the final? No, not yet. So, tell you what, though, if you're PSG's owners, you must be pretty happy with this Messi and Bappi duel. It's worked out very it, well, hasn't it? It's worked out pretty well. How about that? Qatari owners of PSG. Woof. All right. So, have we reached the big question? Is it going to be Messi or Mbappe? Mbappe would be only the second player ever to win two World Cups by the age of 23, the other one being that guy, Pele. Pele didn't play the final, though, in 62. I think he was out injured, wasn't he, in Chile? Right, I check I'm not even sure if he got the medal. Um, so, really? and Garincho obviously won 58-62, but Pele mm. didn't start the final. So, he could be even more unique in that way. Was he... Was he was he young enough in the next one? He started yeah, he would young. have been younger because he was he was seventeen or eighteen when he scored against Sweden. Sweden. Seventeen, so he wouldn't be twenty-one in this Chile. Is live people not knowing, <laughs> right? This is ignorance. <laughs> live on YouTube, we literally don't know. Normally, when we do the podcast, we'd have stopped to check this and come and go. Well, etc. But this still- is what the chat's for. The chat will tell you if you're wrong. Yeah. So, so I, I um. I'm 50-50. I have no idea who's going to win. Okay. I know this is a terrible call. Here's a messy stat which you'll tell me is wrong. He will pass Lothar Mateus for most World Cup appearances by a male player ever when he steps on the field, as we all hope he will, on Sunday, even though he was feeling those hamstrings a little bit. A nation held its breath. 
Mm. If you were an elite player, though, wouldn't you just do that for fun? You'd just be like... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd 100% but I'm about to do Yeah, indeed so. All right, then. So, uh, well, who's going to win on Sunday? JJ? I think Argentina will win. And I can't tell that's because I want them to or because I actually think it. I think France will have this thing you can't really measure and that they've already won it and there'll be a certain level of control and calm that you can't really ever ask for in a World Cup final. But there's some sort of massive driving... Like I think a lot of people want Messi to win the World Cup as opposed to Argentina. A lot of people want Argentina to win. But there's something where there's so many... <laughs> this sounds very strange. So many good vibes going the way of Messi that something just feels... There's an energy, like you feel. Yeah, something about it. That mm. I just feel that that's why maybe they'll win it, but it'll be tight and probably on penalties. France have been there before and have won it before. And I, I wonder if that could be a factor that their manager, while not being the most extravagant <laughs> boss in the world, just gets the job done. Yeah, I mean, Argentina have also won the World Cup final, but, but not with not this, in, not, not, not with this crop. But yeah, they've got to, uh, uh, well, as there are two, two players from the last time around, they did quite well. But I'm also in the school of I want Messi to win because. You know the Vitruvian man, you know, that, that mm. the guy looks a little bit like Ibrahimovic, but the, the idea being that there's a sort of like divine ratio there, there's some right. kind of fittingness, and it would just be perfect, wouldn't it, if Messi went out winning So the World somebody Cup. said the other day that football never awards those kind of symmetries. Mm. Nothing good ever happens. It's <laughs> that's that's so, my own motto, actually. Right. Yeah. So is that true? I, I yeah, mean, nothing good ever happens. So right. France are going to win is, is my answer to the question, but okay. I would, I'd love it. If Messi did it, it would be just... They've still got to go to the Lusail Stadium and get something. <laughs> and John would, would love it. I would love it right. if, if they beat them. Sasha? I'm still on the fence, so I think we'll have two and a half versus a half uh, for you Argentina. Kind of, I mean... I know. Oh. What do I'm you gonna feel? Say, my your, feel, my yeah. heart is Argentina. Yeah, but what does this say, your gut? The gut The gut says France. Right. Heart says Argentina. Right. What do I do? Your heart says wanker what? at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is the truest thing anyone said here today. There's nothing. I can, there's no riposte to that, James. Okay. Um, well, I don't know. I, like, I, I share the same nagging sense that France always look like they're there to, for, the, for the taking. But uh, to an extent, I mean, they're obviously a great side. And yet they just get it done. But destroyer of dreams, Deschamps, naysayer of narrative, will he end the greatest World Cup dream of this tournament. I don't know, but we've reached the end of our hour. Did we ever say? Yeah, we said, JJ, do you agree France is going to win it and break all our hearts? Uh, I'm going to go with the positive vibes and add to it. I, I, I think it'd just be beautiful if Messi won it and I'm all in for it. Okay, beautiful. We're going to be all doing loads of content around it. I mean, particularly you guys. As you say, you've got uh, this best of the tournament and also one player from every nation 11, which sounds really interesting. Who did you pick from England? Who did I pick? Yeah, I picked did you pick anyone from England? Bellingham, actually. Oh, yeah, Bellingham. Fair yeah. JJ? Yeah. yeah, Bellingham. Okay. Yeah. Sash? Oh, it was big Bellingham. Obviously, I picked Jordan Henderson as well for putting okay. his arm around Bellingham. Nice. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so there's that. Anyway, and that's on the TIFO IRL, I think, already or from Saturday? It, that's out on Saturday. And, and on Friday, we've got a, a tactical preview of how Argentina versus France might likely play out. So with our tactics boards, you can see exactly what we're talking about rather than just saying it. Okay, yes. magnificent. Yeah, yeah, I was hoping you'd be doing some of that today, but 
Oh, Joe Devine, the head of TIFO, he said right. no. So blame him for that. He's, he's held them back for the TIFO stuff. I can understand that. He wants to have an influence even when he's not here. Yeah. And this is how he's done it, by taking things away from us. <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, so there's all of that. And then you'll do stuff straight after the game. And we'll do a totally at the World Cup after the game as well, which will be available sometime Sunday night. Everybody enjoy the game. And, of course, the third, fourth playoff on Saturday. Many thanks for everyone watching on YouTube. Many thanks for listening in, listener, to uh, all the many people who came together to make this totally TIFO crossover happen. Thanks to you as well. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.